You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 88, Speaking Hindi. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. Today, my guest, Jessica Kumar, host of the Invisible India podcast, joins me to talk about Hindi. In this episode, she tells us how an opportunity to work abroad in India completely changed her life. She talks about her journey with the Hindi language, including why Devanagari script makes learning Hindi much easier than it might appear to be. Jessica talks to us about the kind of Hindi spoken in Bihar, where she lives with her husband and kids, and how it's different from Hindi spoken in other cities. We talk about the other languages that influence Bihari Hindi, the kinds of foods she loves cooking in India, and even how the many languages in Northern India are used amongst one another every day. Big thank you to Jessica for this conversation about Hindi and giving us a glimpse into India's beauty. If you enjoy this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Jessica. How are you today, Jessica? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm really glad to be on. Yeah, I'm so happy that we had this opportunity to sync our schedules and, and have the conversation. I like to start each episode with the same question, and that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? Sure. So those of you, those that know me know that um, Jessica Kumar, I am a Midwestern American white lady who kind of grew up in a pretty homogenous environment. I did not have a lot of exposure to other cultures until I went to college. I also um, really uh, didn't have much exposure to a lot of different languages besides the typical Spanish that we learn in the U.S. Uh, in high school until I moved to India for an internship. And at that point, my love for languages kind of ignited. And I would say specifically that I, I have a real love for Indian languages. So um, I uh, learned fluent Hindi in my 20s. And I'm continuing to, I, I always say that people are like, oh, wow, you've learned Hindi, you know, complete Hindi. I'm like, no, no, no. There's always more. There's always, always <laughs> more. And especially such an ancient language uh, and all of the languages derived from Sanskrit are uh, just incredibly deep and have so much historical knowledge between uh, and, and how they all connect to one another. So there's never, there's no one that could claim to be a true expert, especially someone like myself who is a foreigner and just learned uh, in their adult life. So Hindi, I would say is my, uh, second language, but English would be my 
first language. And I would not even consider Spanish to be like a second language for me anymore because I've forgotten so much having lived in India. So, yeah. Yeah. So the burning question I have for you is you had an internship in India in college. And I think that's so awesome because especially growing up in the U.S. or I would say growing up, but like also living in the U.S., I feel like so much is very Eurocentric. Um, and I think it's really fascinating to me that you had an opportunity to go to South Asia for this opportunity. So how did that come about? Sure. So my my dad is an international business person and worked a lot in Asia when I was growing up. So a lot of his roles were, a lot of his work was in China, Korea, um, at that, at that juncture in the early nineties, um, when there was a lot of development happening in, in, um, in the sectors he worked in. So I always had this thought that this is, I definitely want to work in international business in Asia, but I didn't exactly know. Uh, I always thought that I would be in Korea or something. Um, mm. I had this vision of myself with like this, a briefcase, uh, you know, how much, how <laughs> typical this is now, like, you know, professionals don't do this anymore, but I had right. like my nice blazer with like a skirt, a skirt suit walking down, down some, uh, you know, down the streets of some big metropolitan Asian city with a briefcase and high heels. That was like a vision of myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, how different things turned out. <laughs> um, now professionals literally wear sweatpants, you know, in, in our home offices and, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And, and then I ended up in India, which, you know, if last time I wore high heels, I'm pretty sure I would have broke my ankle um, trying to <laughs> dodge things in the road. But that being said, I, I really had this passion to work in international business. And so uh, a recruiter came to my university at the time and was talking about these different opportunities. And these were more uh, after graduation because the internships were more long-term. So they were more for like a year or longer. And at that point I wasn't ready to commit in college, but then after I graduated, I committed to a, a year internship. And then I ended up staying on, uh, and becoming an employee and I worked for them for four years. So that was part, part where my journey began. And, uh, also in the early two thousands, everything was India, China, India, China, Think that's what everyone mm-hmm. was talking about. Was, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, India, China is the next, the next developing, uh, you know, mega powers and blah blah blah. And so I was like, well, I don't <laughs> want to miss out on that. So that was uh, something interesting to me that I I wanted to be a part of. I studied mm-hmm. marketing and economics. Yeah. So. Oh, so you're perfect, perfect to get in in that business world and and have that opportunity. <laughs> when did you? So you speak Hindi. What? I guess were some of the initial like steps that you took toward learning the language. Like I'm, I'm assuming that you were there and you felt like you had to learn it or did you feel like you had to learn it? I didn't have to learn Hindi actually for my job. Um, my boss highly recommended to me that I learn. However, I was not required to do that. And where I was working was actually a somewhat of a smaller town in Northern India. So I, it was not required for me to, to, to do this whole learning. 
Uh, I could do my job in English, but the relationships and getting to know my colleagues, understanding their stories, living in, living in their community, I really felt that this was really important to, for me to be able to understand them and their stories and, and really be able to understand the context where I was living. So I started this program and it was like a, a GPA approach, the growing participator approach and a very immersion based. It still exists. It's called OSLS. It's only exists in India. Uh, and they only right now, as far as I understand, have uh, do in, in, uh, learn Indian languages through English, through Spanish. And I, a while ago, they were working on doing it through Korean, but I'm not sure if that developed. So I did that track and that worked well for me and my personality. I really love people. I'm very outgoing. I, I like to just throw myself into a situation. <laughs> I don't mind being embarrassed. So it was a perfect situation. It was a perfect mm-hmm. kind of uh, approach for me. And mm-hmm. um, I've, I've, I used to think that was the only approach. Uh, but now I see that so many other people have different ways that they learn and maybe yeah. more book oriented, more academic oriented. So anyhow, I, I uh, did this growing participator approach and um, it was a really uh, helpful and uh, step for me to launch into the lifelong journey, which would be learning Hindi. <laughs> mm-hmm. How was that process like um, actually learning the words, learning the grammar, learning the, the alphabet, learning all of that that comes with Hindi? Like what were some of the things that you encountered along that those initial days, weeks, months. <laughs> yeah. I would say my, it was about a year and a half that was really focused full. I would say full time. I would say that I was actually learning the language. I was also working um, part-time, but so, so much of my office uh, dialogues and uh, relationships were also happening in Hindi. And as I was learning, so I, I was kind of, you know, I was working, but I was also able to do language learning while I was working immersing myself in some ways. So um, I wasn't living in Delhi, you know, Mumbai, Bangalore, any of these large metropolitans. So people were uh, at least 15, 16 years ago when I was there, uh, living there in that town, they had this internship. People were really willing to just speak Hindi with you. So mm. that was a, a easier. It's easier. It was easier then actually than it is now. Um so some of the challenges or interesting things that came across, I think that Devanagri script is very intimidating if you look at it, but once you dig in, it's, it's actually very straightforward and very easy. Um, even my kids will say, you know, my, my son is learning to read um, now and English and, and, and he's like, well, why does C, C should make a K sound? I'm like, well, C makes like a bunch of different sounds. And, mm. and in Divnagri, it's so simple. Ka or ja or cha, whatever. It, they all make, it makes the same sound every single time. What is written right. there is what it is. That is just what it is. It's straightforward. If you read it exactly like it's written, 99% of the time, that is how people say the word. So okay. it's just kind of, it's, I always tell my kids, Hindi is easier than English. <laughs> <laughs> Reading I think these... so many things are easier than English. <laughs> That's true. English so is hard. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyhow, I uh, 
I would think that Devanagari script was one of the more intimidating things, but actually that's really crucial to get pronunciation because there are just some words uh, or there's some sounds that in Hindi that are not made. We do not make them in English. So you mm-hmm. have to really kind of reorient your brain to, to learn those sounds. Yeah. Is there anything that maybe you learned later on in this journey that you wished you had known at the start or towards the start? You know, I had a really good coaching, so I'm not sure. I think a lot of people really helped me out to, to be able to succeed in the way that they knew that I would be, it would work for me. So I don't know. I would have to say that I don't think so. I think that, um, in, as far as the language, there's a lot of cultural things that I wish I would have done differently. Uh, but as far as the language aspect, I think that the people who guided me and helped me out really kind of gave me a lot of, <laughs> I was standing on their shoulders and their mistakes. So that really yeah. helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how about culturally? Is there anything oh, that. So many, <laughs> so many, so many. Um, I talk about this a lot on my podcast, but one of the most challenging or almost unavoidable things is, you know, I, I was living in a smaller city and I'm a single in my twenties foreigner. And, you know, I grew up with, I have three brothers. I'm very comfortable just being around guys. It's just no, I, it's just nothing. There's nothing weird about that to me. And there's no reason to me that any guy would ever misinterpret my intentions. So I had some just struggles with that because in Indian culture, if a girl talks to you, that means, you know, in, out in certain contexts, that means that she's definitely interested in you. And so I had a, so many dumb things and I, I actually was even, I was trying to keep that in mind. Uh, but I had just so many misunderstandings with people because, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to, to, you know, buy a blender at the grocery store and, oh, I had to order it in advance. And so I had to talk to the guy and then I had to give him my number, but then I maybe talked, I, I maybe was too nice to him at the store. So then he starts calling me on my number. I was like, I was giving you this so you could call me. I was giving you this so you could order so I could get my order. And it's not like he was being creepy because he honestly thought that that's that I was talking to him a lot. And I was, it was just a cultural it, it, misunderstanding between the two of us. And as me being a foreigner in his context, I was, I was at fault, right? Like I should mm. have known. Um, if you go to another country and you're going to be <laughs> living in someone's country, you shouldn't, I, I don't expect them to accommodate to me, right? I need mm. to learn the cues and the social norms. So I would say, you know, I had so many misunderstandings when it came to um, those little kinds of things. And, and now being married now, it's, it's so great because I feel like, you know, I'm also older now too. So, and I have kids. So people are like, oh, she's really friendly. And it's like, yeah, it's because I'm, you know, I, that's just how I am. I am not interested in you at all. It's just how I am. I'm ma- happily married. I have kids. Like I'm old, like don't bother me, you know? <laughs> so Hindi is spoken over a wide area of India and in almost every part of the country by a little people by a lot of people. I don't have numbers in front of me, but um, it is a, a national language. So I'm really curious to know, like, how have you noticed Hindi changing from 
um, different parts of the country? Are there, is there a way that maybe Hindi is spoken in one city and maybe it's not spoken this way in, in like a big city? Um, or is it spoken differently in small towns than versus like, how, how does it change? Yeah, great question. This could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but um, <laughs> let's just, let me just try to focus on one thing. First of all, I want to say that, you know, I'm not Indian and so I don't, I'm not trying to represent India or get any political um, in, in talking about India in any way. So, but uh, there are certain parts of India where Hindi is not widely spoken and there's a lot of tension because Hindi has become a very dominant language because of Bollywood and because most of the prime ministers have been from North India because that's where the majority of the population lies. The political, it's become politicized a little bit, Hindi. And there are a couple of other languages, particularly Tamil, which is widely spoken in South India. So Tamil right. is is uh, also a very strong and very ancient language. And so there's kind of this... And also Malayalam, I would say. Malayalam is also a very uh, ancient and strong language. This is so different from Hindi. That there's there's just almost no, there's nothing in common <laughs> with these languages. You wouldn't even understand a single word uh, between the two. So a lot of people who are Tamil speakers don't speak Hindi unless they've lived in North India and, and vice versa. Same with um, people from Kerala who speak uh, Malayalam. So um, there is some tension there. But your second question is how do how does Hindi vary across North India? Very widely. So I can mm. just share my own personal experience. Um, when I was living in this one part of India in, for my internship, that was in uh, Uttarakhand, one state right north of Delhi. So there's a lot of Punjabi people there, and so it was a little bit influenced by Punjabi language. And there's also a number of uh, other languages from uh, the, like the hill people we call like the Pahari, the mountain mm -hmm. people that have more mountainous, live in the mountain regions. And they have their languages, Garwali, Kumauni. Okay, so it's like influenced by those languages. And so you would mix a lot of the vocabulary, even the accent, the speed of speaking, the tone, the phrases. So, uh, and that... Uh, and then, of course, Delhi is also Delhi Hindi has its own kind of thing, and that's what like a more what people would call like standard Hindi would oh, be okay. is like Delhi or northern India, Uttar Pradesh, that area. So moving to Bihar, or actually, not even before I even moved to Bihar, my my husband is originally from Bihar, and the first time I remember talking to my mother in law on the phone, I could not understand her. She's speaking Hindi. Mm. I could not understand. It was very challenging for me to make out what she was saying, her accent, her tone, the vocabulary that she used. I was ha having to repeat multiple times. Abhishek's whispering in my ear, oh, she's saying, you know, what kind of sari do you want to wear for the wedding and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, I, I completely didn't catch that. So now that I've lived there for several years and have known my in-laws now for 13 years, now I, now I also speak Bihari Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to adjust myself when I go to other states because um, people make fun of Bihari's in the way that they speak mm. Hindi. It's like a different accent. It's kind of sounds like what people would call like hillbilly type of language. It sounds more, oh it sounds more 
rough or uncultured in some sense. And that's just a stereotype that people have. So um, people also speak at a little bit of a louder pitch. Uh, and it's not everyone, but this is kind of the village. Uh, it comes from the village. So people speak very loud. People speak very, uh, you know, have a nice flow to their language. We go up and down a lot. Like, uh, for example, if you were in Delhi, it would be, you know, and then if you're in Bihar, it's, and it's like, mm. you kind of cut the, you kind of cut some of the things and it's, you're on a roller coaster. And it ends on a whoa, kind of up down. Interesting. Where, so it's just kind of a, I don't know how to describe, but it, um, people do label it kind of as a hillbilly type of Hindi. Do you think it's common at all for people to not understand one another? Or are there just like certain pockets of places where people maybe have this kind of stereotype of like, we don't understand what they're saying or I don't, I don't know. I think a native speaker would be able to pick up enough of the in, of the nuances in between to figure out what uh, what they were saying. So for example, when I watch a, an old something where they're speaking in old English, for example, uh, I, I, I love the, um, what is it? The much ado about nothing film. And it makes me mm-hmm. so happy because it makes me realize that actually I'm really fluent in English and at a native level that I sometimes get discouraged in, in Hindi. I'm like, ah, I'm so tired of not being completely, uh, you know, understanding everything and so then i listened to movies like this and uh my husband's like what what are they talking about um Mm. because there's all of these strange terms in in old english or these these poetic like shakespearean english that you just kind of get you know growing up here and reading shakespeare and taking all the english classes and and then for him he's like he has very 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 strong english but he's still like there's still certain things that he may not understand from that very antiquated kind of and so the same thing would be for non-native speakers of hindi and hindi there are these kind of nuanced old terms that are sometimes used and a native speaker would be able to pick those up but uh, someone who learned later on like me wouldn't with the other languages that are spoken around because we know there are so many spoken in india but other languages that maybe border this area um, either in bihar or um, in that Hindi belt in the Northern India region. For you, as someone who learned Hindi, do you, are you able to communicate in any of the other languages that are spoken or do you have, is there any intelligibility that you're aware of or um, have you learned any other of them? <laughs> sure, great question, yeah. There's, and I'm, I just say, I really appreciate how much you've, dug in to, you know, India is such a complex place. And I know you interview people from all different language groups. And so I really just appreciate having not been there or lived there or that you really, I mean, you don't, not like you need my validation, but you know, you just really have have a good knowledge of (laughs) India. So, um, I, the, the bordering Bihar is a place that has, does have several languages, although Mm. people kind of outside of Bihar, lump lump everyone into Bihari Hindi. Um, when actually, Bihari Hindi is is actually influenced a lot by other languages. 
so maghai methali angika uh and the one that's most well known is bhojpuri because they make films in this language as well and so this oh, is a cool. language spoken in bihar and in uh part of uttar pradesh a bordering state okay. so Bhojpuri is kind of other people like to make fun of it quite a bit and some of the movies and songs are also really uh kind of suggestive and so and and also in a very funny way so <laughs> it's it's kind of a lot of other a lot of people outside of Bihar or even Biharis himself will kind of make fun of uh Bhojpuri so it's it's a i myself can understand uh if i'm speaking with someone on it from a day-to-day conversation i can make you know make conversation with bojpuri or baghai those probably the two um okay. and then my mother-in-law speaks angika that's her back my father-in-law and and her but they don't speak it with each other they speak just hindi but their hindi is influenced enough that i have vocabulary picked up vocabulary from that but I don't, I'm not going to be able to like hundred percent keep a conversation in that, but okay. I could speak with anyone who is a Metri speaker or a Bojpuri speaker and follow what they're saying. Um, so yeah, there's so much to learn. So much to learn. <laughs> where do you see, I'm going to put myself in this situation because I want to be here too someday, mm. but where do we see mixing of these languages in a city like Bihar where there are, you know, there's a multitude really hard for me to say i mean it's kind of in i'll just i can just give you like situational i can just give you like situational like anecdotal type of things because it's really everywhere um mm, okay so in the news it's you know i'm in media and in news i would say it's more segregated it's like this is the hindi channel it's they try to speak 100 percent hindi and then but most people don't speak that way so let's not forget english so people mix english so much into everything um and even in in ways that don't make sense so for example i'm using my mother-in-law as an example because she's just the cutest and hilarious so she has used the word take t-a-k-e right and she has created her own meaning to take so she will she has said you know so this person doesn't know how to take her I'm like, what are you mm. talking about? This person doesn't know how to take her. I'm like, take her? This person doesn't know how to handle? Is that what you mean by this? This person doesn't know how to manage, how to deal with this person's problems, this person's emotions, this person's health challenges. So she's used this word take and she's applied her own meaning to it. <laughs> um, and we're like, what are you talking about? So, And then she also says this other things like, so she's used the main person she's she's got that main person the main person is the house is that person so she's saying like this is the patriarch or that's the matriarch of the family but she's saying main person so we're like i don't what are you talking about like what do you mean the main person like (laughs) so she has like this happens all the time and then, of course, mm-hmm. there's certain words that are used the same in uh, in English and we use here, like phone, computer. I find it interesting in India because we've we've you know, like 
I'm saying we, like India has absorbed so much English as just even as a part of their own native languages. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not like that in China. It's not like that in Brazil. It's like, there are like Chinese words for everything. There Mm -hmm. are Portuguese words for everything. Even new technologies that come up, like there's new words for that. In India, people just use the English word. Mm-hmm. He had a heart attack. Open your open your computer and download that thing. Mm-hmm. It's like right. there's all these um when especially when it comes to medical, when it comes to technology, uh, when it comes to a lot of modern advancements and stuff, there's just not I mean, there's just really a lot of English words used. And that's one way that, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting for me because my only exposure to Indian culture has just been through cinema and television shows. Now there's so many on Netflix now, like just TV shows and it's wonderful. And I, I have a, like just personal thing. I love to watch international programming, but if I don't know the language, I have to just sit in front of the the TV and watch it because I have to read the subtitles. And I'll notice occasionally in a Bollywood film that there will be stretches of times where they're speaking in English, and then there'll be stretches of times they're speaking in Hindi. And then occasionally they'll switch to another language that they're talking to a shopkeeper or if they're talking to their parents or a potential suitor. So I guess that's why I asked that question, just trying to get an understanding of like in a multilingual city area region, um, are the, is there any kind of like stratification for like when you would use a certain language to talk to a certain person? Is it a matter of like, if you're trying to impress your boss, maybe you speak you know, a certain language, or if you're trying to impress your future mother-in-law, you speak in like, you know, in a different language. So, but I guess there's, yeah, that's kind of how it is, I guess. Great, great question. And this is, this is something that, you know, I think an Indian person can answer better than me because, um, although I have, you know, living there, you have to pick up on the nuances of these things. So I think when I was first new, I was just trying to speak Hindi with everyone. And sometimes people will get a little offended because they're like, what do you think? I don't know English. Um, so mm. that's a thing I have had to be careful about and learning how to, when to apply it and what level to apply it. So um, yes, absolutely. There are a lot of differences. And even my children have picked up on these. So whenever there's a shopkeeper or you're in a restaurant or, um, you know, if it's a small shop or something, you can use Hindi because... Uh, that's most likely the level of education uh, that the people have. They want to speak in Hindi. They might not know English. And um, that's just totally acceptable. That's the default. But if you're in a job interview situation, if you are um, at an airport, if you are in a place that's, that's, you know, you just have to gauge by the person, honestly, of where you are and what the situation is and how much English to use and how much um Hindi to use and then how to use it. So I've noticed even my children know when, know exactly when to apply this and when not to. So mm. they know when to speak English, they know when to speak Hindi and then how to speak. So it's, it's really interesting uh, because this is something that I think it is very, very natural. It comes naturally to Indians and it's something that I had to learn later on. Right. <laughs> 
it's just fascinating to me. It's just fascinating to me how much vibrancy there is in like the language and the culture at, on the same level mm-hmm. in India. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm really looking forward to going someday. <laughs> and the language is so much, you know, supporting the culture mm-hmm. and, and holding Absolutely. in. We all, we all, you know, everybody knows that language and culture are, you know, one in the same and the same in the one, and they all are interconnected in a way that we can't dissect. But especially when it comes to understanding how complex India is, because there's so much history that's still alive, but there's so much modernity, which is also existing. So people of some anthropologists and whatnot have said that there's 10,000 years of living history happening in India right now. So if you're, you're an IT professional, you are, uh, you know, let's just use like a very, you know, famous Sundar Pichai, the, the C, you know, the CEO of Google. Let's just use him mm-hmm. for example, right? He's the <laughs> million. The same, I don't know if he's married or not. I don't know this much about him, but he, in his, in his marriage ceremony, there will be chants chanted, or there must've been chants chanted that are thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, the same chants for thousands of years that have been used the same rituals used in his marriage ceremony. And that here he is like, he's, you know, you want to talk about modernity and advancement and innovation. Like he's the CEO, you know, uh, one of the largest companies in the world. Right. So it's like, you want to talk about modernity and, and how all this stuff is coming together, but the, the holding on to the ancientness as well. And then, you know, when you just, when you go to rural, more rural areas of Bihar and stuff, you know, people are cooking on mud stoves. They, they could have an electric stove if they wanted, but this is how they want to cook. This is the most accessible, most uh, easiest way for them to do it. And it's just amazing. And this is the stuff that like people have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. But then Mm -hmm. two steps away, you've got like the most modern technology in your hand, like a mobile or your, you know, you can, you can download you know, Netflix on your, your mobile phone and you can watch a program from anywhere in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just, it's just really crazy. Like you'll see that contrast in India. You'll see a humongous, gorgeous bungalow with all these just absolutely, you know, state of the art stuff. And then next and there's like a slum with people literally like, you know, cooking on a wood fire. It's like, right. This is, this is the contrast of India not only economically, but, you know, culturally as well. And it's just really fascinating. Yeah. My brain can't comprehend that. I think it's one of those things that like, I have to go see it. You have to go see it. Just thinking about it, like the magnitude of it just is like, I'm speechless. There's a a magnitude. (laughs) I mean, I would say the first nine months for me, like living in India was Every day I had these moments of just, I just could not wrap my mind around it. And even now I've been living, you know, on and off for 16 years. Sometimes I'll have these moments where, you know, I I was in my apartment and I have my home little, you know, I'm speaking English with my husband. I'm, we're, you know, I'm wearing shorts inside my house because nobody can see me. It's hot, whatever. I'm just feeling, I'm feeling myself. I'm doing my thing. And then I open the door and I look out and there's a massive, like, uh, like, slum right next to my house Mm -hmm. and it's like people have chickens running around people are like 
you know, washing, hang, hanging their clothes over the wires. And it's like, not only the economic differences are there, but just the cultural, like how much, how, how the things that I'm worried about and the things that I'm thinking about and the things they're worried about and the things that they're thinking about are not the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. The way they see the world and the way that I see the world could not be more different. But yet here we are just a few steps away from each other. Right, right. That's not just because I'm a foreigner. This is a dissonance that, that is with, you know, wealthy Indians as well. But mm-hmm. people have just kind of learned to to live with that dissonance and live with this is the reality of life. And this is just what is what it is. So for people like myself and other people who have not been to India and are not ethnically Indian, South um, South Asian, um, if that day should come where we have an opportunity to visit uh, beautiful India, lovely country, what are some things, and I guess, you know, being that you are um, from the U.S., what are some ways that you think that people like us can respectfully engage with the culture in whichever region that we happen to visit, move to, uh, interact with people from? Like, what are, what are some things that you think would be respectful and, and helpful? Well, being this is a language linguistics pod- podcast i'm you know what i'm going to say first is you know <laughs> dig into the language as much as you can wherever you are going to be if you're going to be in hyderabad try to work on some telugu when you get there in an intentional way and don't be surprised when people just want to speak english with you <laughs> no matter no matter where you're from in the world um if you're you know from an arab country if you're from korea if you're from the Caribbean, if you know English, people are going to want to speak English with you. That's just kind of, if you're a foreigner, that's the default is let's speak English. Um, unless you're in a place where there are a lot of tourists that are from a certain area, for example, like Goa, if you ever go to Goa, you can find people that speak Russian. You can find people that speak Finnish. You can find people, any, any people who vacation there from Europe or other parts, mm. probably you can find people that speak Malay. You can find, you can find, Indians who've accommodated to the tourist, uh, you know, made this a real tourist attraction and be able to speak the different languages. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, digging into the language is the number one thing. And then um, I I always have, uh, I have a, a list of people on my website of different uh, vendors or things that I recommend so if you're going to go on a tour, I would recommend using uh, Wool Voyage. It's D-W-O-V-O-Y-A-G-E. I will, I mean, we can put it in there um, in the show notes or whatever. Like people that are, that are companies that are tour companies that are run by Indians that know what they're doing. That's a women-owned travel company, um, for example. Things like that, that, that are people who are really doing amazing work um, have ethical businesses and kind of engaging with those, doing your research ahead of time. Of course, you know, I, <laughs> not to do a shameless plug, but like I talk quite a bit about, about, about this on my podcast. If you're first time to India, what are the things you need to know? What are the things that you need to prepare yourself for? And, uh, you know, the traveler's guide, read, read whatever you can. There's some great books out there. Um, the women's, what else? The other one, um, my friend uh, Cheryl Maharana had also written a book about uh, traveling fearlessly in India as a woman. Like there's, there, there are resources out there. So just checking what those ones are and um, 
you know, in the ins and outs of how to behave, I think is, is really important. And, uh, cause it is very different. It's super mm-hmm. different from traveling in Europe. It's very different from traveling in even Latin America, um, even Southeast Asia. When you mm-hmm. go to Thailand and India, it's a completely different animal. So it's just, India is its own very unique place. And yeah. you gotta know the, you gotta know the specifics ahead of time. So I hate to be general because I feel like this is a whole podcast in its, its own. I was going to ask you about this, but since you, you mentioned it, tell us about your podcast. What do you talk about and um, how you got started and tell us where we can listen to it. Yeah. So it's the Invisible India podcast and I call it the Invisible India podcast, not because I'm as a foreigner, I'm trying to show some light on India, but it's about what are the lesser known aspects, which people may misinterpret or not know about as much. And I talk about my own cross-cultural experiences, uh, being married to an Indian, living in India as a foreigner for many years, learning, learning the Hindi language, interacting with many different kinds of people. And then also the main focus for 2021 was I had all guests of South Asian origin on the show. So people who Mm. are experts in their field, whether that they're an author whether um, they're like a religious influencer, whether they're uh, an organic farmer, whether they're uh, you know education uh, professional in the education sector, um, I've tried mostly to interview people who are doing some kind of good for Indian society. So I'm not like, oh, I want to interview the biggest tech tycoon I can. Like, yes, you're making an impact on society, but you get a lot of attention already. Who are the people that aren't getting a lot of, who who are doing incredible things, but aren't getting a lot of, you know, accolades for it? So mm-hmm. th- those are some of the folks that I have on the show. And uh, I talked about adoption as well, like interviewed um, trans, transracial and transnational adoptees that were either from an Indian background, South Asian background, or South Asians who adopted outside of India. So just just kind of the cross-cultural element of India is basically what the show is about. It's on, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, uh, as far as the social media, but the show itself is everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the website is invisibleindiapodcast.com. So that's where you can find us. I have a newsletter. I share all kinds of stuff with recommendations, businesses that I love, um, discounts that they're providing and stuff like that. Awesome. That's great. I will add links to all of those in the show notes for this episode so that those of you listening can reach Invisible India right away. Um. So you're away from India right now. So this is a good time to ask you this question. What are you looking forward to the most when you return? (laughs) Well, I can't decide if it's more (laughs) the food or if it's being able to speak Hindi every day um, Mm. without making a big effort. So I don't know. I think, you know, we make Indian food here. Right now, now I'm in the U.S. for several months. It's not the same. We ha- it's just not, it doesn't taste the same. So when we bring all the masalas and stuff from India, still like the potatoes in America are disgusting. Potatoes in India actually have a taste. I don't know. I see you gasping. I say this all the time and people don't believe me. So I feel like you have validated 
this mm. thing that I've been saying forever. Food in America is not that good. It's not. It doesn't taste like anything. Like people will tell me, and I'm I'm sorry to cut you off. I'll nope, just make this ahead. really brief. People mm-hmm. will tell me, oh, I hate tomatoes. They're disgusting. I hate tomatoes. And I look at them and I just say, that's because you haven't had a tomato. Like if you go to Italy, if you go to Spain, (gasps) you slice a tomato, put a little salt, a little olive oil on it. It's a meal. You have died and gone to heaven. You can't do that with tomatoes here. They're terrible. They're just like sacks full of water. And it's just like, oh, anyway, please continue. (laughs) Food in America, as much as you try to grow a tasty greenhouse tomato, it's not going to be the same as one grown from your from your garden or one grown from like actually the ground somewhere in like real earth. Um, mm-hmm. Not knocking it. I love that I can get everything in season here. It's great. But it's just, I mean, let's not even talk about fruit. I don't even want to bring it up because it'll make me cry. But like once you've had a mango from India during mango season, you will never, I will not buy mangoes in America. It's like when I have like a mango, like I won't like get mango smoothie. It's like, that is not real food. Like that is garbage. <laughs> no. And I no no offense to, you know, the Big amazing mango. farmers in Mexico mm-hmm. or in Florida or wherever that are cook, making these fruits, trying to meet our demand up here in Northern states where like nothing grows. No offense to them. They're doing their best, but like, no, it's not going to happen. So I, the fruit and stuff. I mean, I, I'm enjoying all the berries right now. I'm like strawberries and blueberries. Cause we don't get those in Bihar that much ever. So mm-hmm. like, <laughs> give me all the cold weather fruits, cherries, berries, whatever, but mm-hmm. apples, everything else. I'm not even going to touch cause it's not good. My kids, I have a whole pile of bananas sitting. They go bad every week. Cause my kids are like, these taste like chalk. I'm like, I'm not going to make you eat these. You're right. They're gross. Wow. <laughs> so the food, obviously. Um, and of course, of course, being able to speak Hindi easily, just anywhere here, there, here, there, and everywhere is obviously a huge privilege of living in India. And uh, it, you have to force it here. You have to really make it happen mm-hmm. here. Force it in your house. I actually pay my kids um, extra allowance if they speak Hindi. <laughs> Like, if you speak Hindi for a half an hour at dinner, I will give you money. <laughs> I don't want them to forget. I don't want yeah, them to forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you said a word about the food. I'm I'm a little stuck on that because I really think, like, you know, I agree with what you said. Like, no shade to the people who are actually growing stuff and, and you know, making a living, an honest living for themselves and, and everything. But it just really puts into perspective how like far our food comes from in the U.S. Yeah. Since you are looking forward to the the food uh, when you return, what are some things that you that you enjoy eating? Oh well, I don't. Oof, oof, man. Okay, so I prefer vegetarian food. That's just kind of my jam. And I really, you know, people are like crazy about the street food in India, which I get. But I really, I, I don't have time to risk being sick. I got two kids. I got a job. I got all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I, I just, I did the whole food, foodie, like experience, straight food experience when I first moved there and puked my guts out and whatever. Like it, it you just have to do it, right? Your body it has mm-hmm. to accl- acclimate. But I'm not, I, I don't have 
you know, I'm all, I'm going to be 40, like in a couple of years, like I don't have like, time for that anymore. <laughs> I cook a lot. We cook a lot of stuff at home. So some of our favorite, I mean, I love pani puri. It's like a golgapa. This is little mini puris fried and they make them in a globe shape and you poke a hole in it. And you put um, mashed potato and like garlic and onion. And then there's this like spicy tamarind water that you, then salty and spicy and you dip it in there. The little fills up like a little bowl and you pop it in your mouth and you wow. eat it in one bite. It's intense and it's amazing. That's my favorite. It's a street food, um, but it's something we just make at home because it's worth it. It's so good. My favorite, I always joke around that every white American I know likes palak paneer because mm. it's like cheese and it's like spinach and with naan, white naan, right? Like roasted. <laughs> so I prefer like paratha, which is, you know, like a stuffed paratha with radish inside. That's my, I always joke around. This is my favorite is like muli paratha and palak paneer combination it's like a lot of greens some root vegetable vegetable oil butter yes salt and spice what is the difference between palak paneer and sag paneer so palak is actually spinach and sag is any kind of green so it could be like sarso sag or whatever sag could be like um uh sag is like could be any kind of green like mustard green or collard green it could be a mix of different kinds and balak is spinach only i have been misinformed because i thought <laughs> i thought that sag paneer was just spinach um it, but maybe it that's can how... be. it can be yeah mm, sag paneer yeah. can be but it's probably if it's written sag paneer it's probably a mix of some could be spinach and something else that's like cheaper probably and <laughs> they package it and give it to you yeah so okay cool 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 what is in bihar is there a like signature dish of that city that or that region like the one that like people say you know my auntie makes the best no my auntie makes the best and like people kind of go back to back and forth over yes it's called litti choka and mm. it is roasted gram flour. So it's like chickpea, but it's roasted and then it's ground into a flour and it's called sattu. So it's, it's like this kind of a little bit bitter, but very grainy and coarse flour. And so you take white flour and then you make a little ball and you stuff it with this sattu and then you uh, roast it on the fire with like tons of ghee, like clarified butter and then you also make a cholka, which is basically mashed potato. Let's just call it mashed potatoes with a bunch of masala in it and chopped up onions, uh, raw onions. And, uh, or it could also have uh, uh, eggplant in it. Mm. So really good. You eat that too together. You kind of break the, the, the roasted ball, liti, and then you dip it in the cholka and eat it with your hands. It's quite good. When it's hot and fresh, quite good oh but yeah everyone talks about that non. spicy okay i want to try it <laughs> it'll be hard is to there find any... in the states because there are not many bihadis but mm, you can usually find a lot of gujarati foods because gujaratis kind of dominate the grocery industry and fast food type of indian fast food in america there are a lot of gujaratis but finding oh. finding litti choka is going to be tough i've never wow. seen them. 
Okay. You have you find, had... make friends with the Bihari and go to their house? <laughs> That's you can come to my house. My list. I, I'll be there. I'll be there. Is there anything else that maybe you want to mention or anything else I haven't had a chance to ask? Well, I would just say that, you know, one of my goals in 2022 is to create more Hindi learning resources. So 2021 was let's feature people of South Asian descent on my on my show. That's what I want to do. 2022 is all about creating Hindi learning resources. So that's one of my goals. And um, I have a free download on my site, which is like the guide for kids Hindi learning. And I'm going to be creating more stuff, but it's invisibleindiapodcast.com. Um, and then I have a bunch of downloads and, and um, offers and stuff of Hindi teachers and all that. Hindi teachers and all that, which is also um, on my on my site. People that I cool. recommend and have talked to personally. All so, right. Yeah. Well, happy 2022. And I look forward to seeing you know, to seeing what your, what your learning resources, how they, how they turn out and looking forward to seeing, to seeing those come to light. I think that's amazing, especially thank, for kids. Thank <laughs> you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks for inviting me. It's great. Yeah, talking absolutely. To you. I like to end each episode with the same question, a uh, bit of a fun one. Do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, or words of advice in Hindi to share? I'm going to do a really simple one because this is a very well-known thing among Bihari's and, and it's easy to remember. So a lot of times when people are surprised, you know, here in the States, people say like, Oh my, no way. People will be like, Oh crap. Or, Oh my God. Or like, no way. Or I can't believe that. Or shut up. Or so for all of those things, Oh my God. Like all of those things, we have one phrase we can use and that's, Bapre bop. I love bapre, that. Bapre bop. And it's like, bop is like your father. So it's like, and re is the thing that people say all the time, like, re or re. It's like a very Bihari thing. It's very simple. It's nothing complicated. But it's just bapre bop. And you have to say it like that. You can't be like, bapre bop. Like, bop. Your eyes have to go and your mouth, your face has to go, bapre bop. Or, so it's people like bopity bop. Bopity bop. And if you bop say that, bop. people will be like, you are a hillbilly. <laughs> if you ever say that in front of your friends, Hindi speaking friends, and you be and someone's like, Oh, did you watch Indian matchmaking? And you're like, oh, Bopity Bop. I loved that show. They'd be like, Where'd you learn that? <laughs> I love that. Thank you for for the local the local oh, answer oh, oh. to this question. Oh, oh, oh. This is awesome. I love it's kind that of one. like it would kind of be like a yeah, it's like a hillbillyism kind of how people would you would never hear like a Bollywood actress or anyone on a news channel saying like bop like they no. No. Mm. No. They would they would be like no. Jessica, thank you again so much for this conversation. I had so much fun chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Ellie. Appreciate appreciate it so much. It was good. Before I let you go, if we are in Bihar and we've just been having this conversation for all this time and we're going our separate ways, what would be the best way for us to say goodbye? Usually people, I mean, and if you read all the language books, it would be like namaste, but like people do say that. It depends. It depends a lot. If it's me and you or two women roughly around the same age, 
in the same status. Like, it would just be like, Chalie, tike, fir milenge. Like, okay, let's go. See, talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Uh, if you're addressing an elder, it would be like, pranam. I would, I, let's say you were my auntie or something, I would say, pranam, and I would touch your feet and I would leave. Um, if we were in person or if I'm on the phone, I would say, pranam, pranam, you know, multiple times, once, whatever. And, and then your response would be kushraho. If you're an elder and you're, you'd be like, be happy or it's a giving me a blessing. So oh. it really depends on the context. It really depends on how casual you are. In our context, two women casually chatting with another, with one another, then I could, you know, just say, okay, good. Let's talk again soon. Can you teach me that? Sure. It's. Firmilenge, it's like, Firmilenge. or we'll meet again, or it's um, Firbatkerenge, we'll talk again. Firbatkerenge. Firbatkerenge, talk, okay. talk again. Talk to you soon, Jessica. Take Bye. Care, Bye. <laughs>